Thank you, Scott, for that powerful song. Uh, Our reading this morning is from the Bible, the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 12. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Thank you, Phyllis. Beautifully read. Today I want to uh, continue the series that we've had over the past few weeks, um, looking at the idea that service is the end point of spirituality, and that really our purpose in our spiritual search is to understand the nature of reality so that our service can be appropriate to that reality, because unless we can see what the nature of reality actually is, then we can't serve in a way that has the wisdom of the understanding of that greater reality. And we have to be able to develop the wisdom, therefore, to know where we're to serve, uh, both individually and here at the Aspen Chapel corporately. We really have to continue to develop the wisdom of understanding where it is that we have to serve, to see into the nature of reality in such a way as to realize our contribution. Last week, we looked at the idea that to arrive at that wisdom, when you do arrive at that wisdom, you arrive at the point of love. You arrive at the point of love. And that point of love is of giving. The definition that I used for love was giving with no expectation of return. Giving with no expectation of return. Because it's only when we live our lives out of that love that we're in right relationship with life. 
we are in fact loving life by giving of our all without a bargain or an attempt to manipulate what we might get back in return. That is the true way of living. You know, to live in a place of love where you are giving of yourself with really no expectation of return. And by giving, I'm talking about about the giving of ourselves, about giving our attention, giving our energy, pouring our life into the universe for that love of being alive rather than for a specific motive. That is truly living in a loving way. It's then that we enter the stream of love that is the living water that Jesus was talking about. And and when you do that, it's then that wisdom bubbles up into your consciousness because you're in that place of love. You're giving out of love. The universe is created out of love. The universe is created with no expectation of return. And we participate with the universe um, by giving out of that love. And the wisdom then comes up. And it's then that, as the Tao Te Ching says, the mud settles and the water is clear. You remain unmoving with right action arising by itself. You know, that is what we want to do. We want to remain unmoving. That is true wisdom, when right action arises by itself. We do not seek fulfillment and not seeking, not, expecting, not seeking and not expecting, we are present and we can welcome all things. That's the Tao Te Ching's perspective of it, that in not seeking, we are completely present and we can welcome all things. And it just, you can feel the sense of that, the ability to do that. And a few weeks ago, when we were looking at wisdom, I identified um, three ways that I thought that we could bring wisdom into our lives. Um, First of all, mindfulness. We talked a lot about that, just being aware of our desire for an outcome or just being aware of what we're thinking. You know, the whole aspect of meditation and things like that, we've talked about a lot. That's one way of of getting wisdom. The second way I suggested was by being out in the open being out in nature. Um, I mentioned Richard Raw's rites of passage, the idea that when you're out in nature, you know, something special happens and we can start to reflect on ourselves. So that's two. And the third method that I I talked about in in terms of developing wisdom was the idea of counsel, connecting to the wisdom of the group. And that's what I want to talk a bit about today, that idea of connecting to the wisdom of, of the group, and I've called it this the theme today, cooperation, because I think, you know, that's what connecting to the wisdom of, of the group leads to. You know, we tend individually to get on with our practices. You know, I've often said that we're more likely to talk about our sex lives than we are to talk about our meditation lives. You don't go up to someone and say, well, I've been meditating for 20 minutes. Yeah, you just don't talk about it. It's something that's very, very private indeed. Um, and we practice on our own, you know, trying to offer ourselves in love. However, the challenge is also one of cooperation. And and really, I want to look at how we do that. There's a chap, Dr. David Sloan Wilson, and and Mimi pointed me towards this. 
um, founder of the Evolution Institute and uh, uh, distinguished professor of biology and anthropology in the State University System of New York. So he's got all the credentials. And he says, which I think is really interesting, he says that once evolution reaches, once evolution reaches the relationships between hierarchies, within groups, you know, once we actually get to the point where we can be conscious of, of our relationship with each other, groups and hierarchies, then the definition of fitness, he says, i.e. natural selection, the definition of natural selection, when we arrive at this point of the consciousness of groups and consciousness of hierarchies and the way things work, the definition of fitness, i.e. natural selection, changes from choosing the best competitor, which is really what natural selection is supposed to be all about, to choosing the best cooperator. So evolution goes through a phase, you know, and he challenges in, in his article the nature of Darwinism and how that works and, and also the, the idea of the selfish gene. He says, actually, when you get to a certain point in the evolution of consciousness, it goes beyond, when, when it becomes very complex, it goes beyond, you know, who is the best competitor to who is the best cooperator. So survival of the fittest, you know, was true, but the definition of fitness changes from the best competitor to the best cooperator, especially as complexity increases. Selfishness beats altruism within groups, he's saying. You know, selfishness does beat altruism within groups, but Altruistic groups beat selfish groups. So selfishness within an interval group, you know, will beat altruism. But an altruistic group will beat a selfish group because they're cooperating. So, th so this idea, which I think is really interesting, you know, states that evolution is not just about the survival of the fittest individual, but moves on to the survival of the best cooperator. And that is an amazing leap. You know, up to now, we've been trying to get through, all of us, you know, we try to get through life the best we can, you know, as humanity. But humanity's understanding, I think, and this is what he's suggesting, has come to a point where we can see that cooperation is really the next step. In order for us to move forward as humanity, we have to cooperate with each other in order for the world to move forward. That this cooperation is all part of the next stage of the evolution of consciousness. It is about the evolution into full cooperation. And you, know, you can see it in technology. You know, the whole idea of the televisual global village and the internet, you know, we, you know, now we can see what is happening on the other side of the world at an instant. You know, what I'm saying now, at an instant, is going around, is in England, or I know my mum's watching, so I can say that. But, you know, it is happening everywhere. And, and there is a connection, like on that picture, there's a connection, the picture on your thing, between everybody. There's a cooperation, a technological cooperation, which means that we are all, you know, in that 
cooperation in an instant. But as groups of people, I, I'm suggesting, obviously, and this is very obvious, but we've not caught up with that yet. Our communities and our nations, you know, they battle to be on top. You know, we hoard resources and technology. They, you know, nations will hoard resources and technology to serve themselves. And really the aim is to come out on top. But the way forward, I think, for our planet and for our species is cooperation. It is where we come together to solve each other's problems. You know, even in a little community like this, you know, what we should be doing is coming together to solve each other's problems. You know, and, and as greater communities in the valley, you know, we should be coming together, Aspen and uh, Carbondale and Basalt, and we should be coming together to solve each other's problems. You know, we, ha- we should have a greater view. It's where we share together. We share together to seek the wisdom to be able to nurture the planet and the life that we have together. And, you know, we're trying to do that. You know, uh, uh, Elaine Bonds, uh, you know, with, with, when, when we were hosting the, the People Without Homes last winter, and people said, oh, we've got to find a long-term solution for homelessness. You know, we can't just put people up. And so Elaine has now been actually bringing together all the faith communities, all the people from different uh, town managers uh, and people with different ideas to cooperate, to actually try and find a solution. And really, you know, this is the way, and, you know, it's obvious, you know, when, when we all want to solve a problem, you know, we do try and cooperate. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, in a greater level, you know, to nurture the planet and to nurture each other, we have to come together. And that is what Jesus is talking about in the body of Christ. He's saying there is no division. It's, it's such an inclusive reading that. There is no division in the body. All parts should have equal concern of each other. I mean, that is so inclusive. Everybody has got something to offer. All parts should have equal concern for the other. And again, there is that concept in that reading of the oneness of the universe. You know, where it's something that we hold here, that, that the universe, that there isn't a duality, there isn't a separation, but actually we are all of one beingness. And that is really what the, the idea of the body of Christ is about, the concept of oneness and the oneness of humanity. And I think that is where counsel, connecting to the wisdom of the group, is so important. You know, in counsel, we listen to the whole. You know, we listen to the people. We listen actually to the place. You know, we listen to the earth, to water, to fire, to the air. You know, we listen to the living planet. It is cooperation in action. And it brings about counsel and experience of true community. A, recon- a, a recognition that each of, us, each of us has a voice that needs to be heard. And that every person here, every person has a gift, a story to share, a perspective of the whole. And that idea of counsel allows us to share our common humanity. Every time someone opens up and shares what truly moves their heart, in heartful listening, we're given an opportunity to experience that beyond all our differences, really, we do care about the same things. You know, that's what a good book does. You know, we, we, it's because you identify, you realize that, that what the author is caring about, you're caring about. 
and counsel creates space for new insights and understandings. You know, wisdom in decision-making and healing of differences. More than just another communication tool, this, the deep practice of counsel allows us to access and experience collective intelligence and group wisdom, offering a way for both new and ancient collaborative process to come through. And also it's non-hierarchical. You know, it's a deep form of communication where each person's empowered to speak. You can tell I'm building up something here. So each person's empowered to speak. You know, its primary intention is listening and speaking from the heart, encouraging genuine self-disclosure and attentive, empathetic listening. And the quality of deep listening extended by everyone in a particular circle towards a person holding whatever talking piece they might have, contributes to a greater container of trust and openness. And that's what we need to do here. And we're going to try that here today. To see, you know, what is moving us in our hearts? What can we hear from ourselves that might be relevant to us as a group? We're not going to do it right now so you can relax. But we are going to do it in a moment. But I think, you know, we're having this event with Thomas Keating. And you know, I mentioned the other day these seven points that Thomas Keating had in developing his idea of interspirituality, which is really key to us here at the Aspen Chapel, I think, as well. I mean, he's such a great loss, Thomas Keating, in terms of his perspective on life. And, and he said there are seven principles that define interspirituality that we, that we do try and embody here. And I think they also do speak to the idea of the pursuit of wisdom. It points us in the direction. And I'm just going to repeat those seven points here just to put, them, put ourselves in the right frame of mind to participate in, in this idea of counsel. So his first point is that the world religions bear witness to the experience of ultimate reality to which they give their various names. So all world religions, you know, give witness to that ultimate reality, whether the name be Brahman, Allah, Absolute God, Great Spirit, they all bear witness to the same ultimate reality. And secondly, the ultimate reality cannot be limited by any name or concept. It is beyond our understanding. Therefore, faith in this sense precedes any belief system and that faith that there is an ultimate reality. And he says that, that thirdly, that faith is opening up and attempting to respond to that ultimate reality. Fourthly, he says that the potential for human wholeness, whether you call it enlightenment, salvation, transformation, blessedness, nirvana, that is present in every human person. The potential for that is present in absolutely everybody equally. Fifthly, that ultimate reality is not only experienced through religious practices, but also through nature, through art, these wonderful flowers, cooperation, you know, through art, human relationships, and service to others. So, you know, the human condition, you know, the ultimate reality is experienced through all those things. And as long as the human condition is experienced as separate from ultimate reality, as long as we feel ourselves as separate from that, then it's subject to ignorance and illusion, weakness and suffering. That's where that comes from, the idea of separateness. And finally, that discipline practice is essential to the spiritual life. Yet paradoxically, 
spiritual attainment is not as a result of one's effort, but as a result of the experience of oneness with ultimate reality. So he identified those seven points which sort of enable us to get a perspective of ourselves within that ultimate reality. And we can only really speak about wisdom from that experience, I think. And it's incumbent upon us, I think, to cooperate with each other in developing that wisdom that will be appropriate to our manifestation here, both individually and collectively. You know, last week, Jeanette uh, was asking why it seems that there is such an exploitative world out there where there's not care for the planet and each other. And the reason for that is that we're not in a state of cooperation with each other, but we are in a state of competition. And I think we have to move into that cooperation in order to create the conditions for the evolution of consciousness that will bring about a resolution of some of the problems that we all face as communities as nations, and as continents. And, you know, it starts right here, with us, with our willingness to share with each other our own deep wisdom. Not hierarchically with me doing it from the front, but all of us searching our hearts for what we think is important or what we feel is important. And you can only offer that wisdom out of love, I think. You can only offer it with no expectation of return. That's why I think it's not solutions that we're looking for, but the wisdom of the heart, that when put together in an act of cooperation, reveals the deep corporate wisdom that informs us all. So remember, it's not survival of the fittest in terms of best competitor. It is survival of the fittest in terms of best cooperator. So how open are you to that cooperation? Because it is a loving act, giving with no expectation of return. Being willing to offer something, even if it feels embarrassing, being willing to to have that feeling and yet still make that that, that contribution. Valuing the thoughts and feelings that we have rather than thinking that they don't matter. You know, we want to embody that spirit of cooperation here that's so important in the world. Everyone's contribution is valued. We want to value inclusivity. We want to value understanding, listening and hearing. We want to value everyone equally and all their contributions because our survival depends on it. Our survival, as corporately here, our survival depends on it, individually and as a community. So we're going to have a time of counsel here today. We're going to listen deeply to ourselves, and then we're going to share. Now, I know that uh, there's always the possibility that no one's going to say anything. And that's okay. I give this with no expectation of return. So, yeah, there is always that possibility, but it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're open to the possibility of hearing. Just notice how you feel right now. Um, I'm going to ask us to deeply listen to ourselves in a moment. So I'm going to ask us to deeply listen to ourselves. And then we're going to have a short time of prayer. And then there's going to be the offertory. And then we'll open ourselves to a bit of a time of counsel. So is that okay? I saw a couple of nods. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sharon. That's very kind. Sharon nod. It's only DD, I think. So. so maybe just with your eyes closed, just for a moment.
just become aware of uh, yourself in the chair, sitting there. Aware of your body. Maybe any aches you've got. And be aware of your thoughts. Help. Now again, I want you to drop down into your heart and become aware of your breathing. Of that connection to that deep peace in your heart. And now I want you to be aware of the community around you, of all those people also connected to that deep peace in their hearts. You're a heart within hearts. And if you had a chance to say something to those people, to those hearts, what would you want to say to them? Now become aware of yourself as a part of humanity in the world. With seven billion people, all connected fundamentally to that same deep peace. What would you want to say to the world? And now become aware of yourself as a part of the whole universe. Huge, living, breathing, and also connected to the same deep peace. What would you like to say to the universe? And just be aware of of all those. We're going to open from our hearts just to think about this community, the world, the universe, and how we might be appropriate. Think about the troubles in the world at the moment. People suffering. People in conditions less favorable than ourselves, in prisons, in war zones, in difficulty, people who are homeless, the pain and anger and suffering that's in the world. We think of people in our own community. Think of Annie Teague, Mimi Schlumberger battling with cancer. We remember the friends and family of Aaron Truk. We remember Erin and Tommy Hassert and their premature baby. We think of Mimi Hauenstein's family and the death of her mother, Mary Lou Sprague. We think of all those suffering from loss at the moment, affecting families, devastation that loss causes. We open our hearts to them as well. And we pray that that healing love at the center of the universe may go out to all those suffering. We particularly think of 16-year-old 
Isiri Hughes, suffering from a debilitating back pain, only 16, had to leave high school. We just pray for her as well. Pray that she's accepted into the Mayo Clinic. We offer up all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.